Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City. This is Heart of the Matter. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you want your friends to watch Heart of the Matter out of state, then have them go to streaming video. They just go to www.bornagainmormon.com. They go to the TV show, and then they just click on the thing that says Watch Live. You do that, you can watch streaming video from anywhere in the world. We had someone last week watch from Aruba. So that's a record for us, and uh, keep it going. Uh, we're back into church history tonight, so get prepared for that. We welcome you. In-house guest, Joel A., all the way from Washington. We welcome this good brother in the Lord. Also, Sarah C. and her fine children, and Jimmy, Simeon, and Logan. The guys look like they are from a logging company. Brute guys, tough and strong. Good to have them. A shout out to Brent B., who I saw in the airport today. And I want to say, uh, great to talk to you. Going to send a book your way. And thanks for being kind and saying hello. Brent comes from uh, my LDS background in Southern California. Hey, the first day of spring is tomorrow, and many of you are planning your um, summer vacations. I hope you'll set aside July 7th and 8th, the weekend of July 7th and 8th, 2007, for our Heart in the Park. It's going to be a great one. We've got a lot of good things planned. So just a reminder to put that uh, weekend aside and be in town because we want to see you. Are you male and do you like to fish? We have uh, just come up with a great opportunity. It came before us. Do you enjoy deep sea fishing, Mexican waters, yellowfin tuna, bluefin tuna, albacore? Um, all those fish get ready for our first annual Heart on the Sea in San Diego, California, August 10th through the uh, 13th. It's a two and a half day trip, deep sea fishing. Um, it'll be a great time uh, fellowship for believers and non-believers. Doesn't matter. You're welcome to come. We would love to have you there. There are limited spots available. I think there's only 15 or 16 spots available. It does cost money, but we've given you some notice. You can start saving up for that. If you're interested to be on this uh, boat that holds 20 guys, has a galley, a chef, and 80 foot long going into Mexico to uh, fish for big game, we would love to have you there. You can email J-E-R-M underscore R-O-B, so germ underscore Rob at yahoo.com with your interests or questions. You can also call 801-403-9593. I'll try to get that information to you again at the end of the show. You can also email us at the website if you have a question. Are you looking for local support for your questions about Mormonism? Are you coming out of Mormonism? Do you have questions about how to be born again or just to be able to associate with like-minded believers? Then you can go to Truth Seekers is starting to hold their meetings. They're on the first and third Wednesday of every month at 7 p.m. at the Rock Church in Sandy, Utah. Want more information? Go to www.truthseeker, Truth Seeker, not Seekers, truthseeker333.com. That's www.truthseeker333.com. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this airtime. We thank you for people who are taking the time to listen tonight. We pray that you will be with our staff, with our camera people, our operators, our technical people, 
um, just with the airwaves, be with the people at home who are listening and help me to prepare um, the things that you want to say in my head and heart and to deliver them the way you want them delivered. In Jesus' name, amen. We left off two weeks ago before our brief respite with an examination of what the LDS called Joseph Smith's first vision. The official year of the first vision is 1820, but if you recall, there is a great deal of discrepancy about that date and what actually occurred in the vision itself. Though contrary to what the Bible says, the LDS Church today claims that Joseph Smith saw God the Father and Jesus Christ and that God the Father was in a body of flesh and bone. But his earliest accounts say nothing of the sort. In light of the evidence... I personally don't believe there was a first vision as the LDS leadership teaches it today. If you want to know why, you can go back and watch our shows at www.bornagainmormon.com and just click on the first vision. You'll be able to see my arguments and the evidence I prove as to why. Between the supposed first vision of 1820 and the visitation of an angel named Moroni in 1823, We know very little about the teen years of Joseph Smith. We do know from his own account that he was, quote, entangled again in the vanities of the world, unquote, but that his sins were not, quote, great or malignant. LDS historian Bushman notes that from time to time he he drank too much, unquote. But we must note that drinking too much in those times was very common It was even a sin of the prophet Noah. I'm not critical of Joseph Smith uh, because of his personal foibles and sins, and I don't take the route that evidence of his personal weaknesses make him fraudulent. Um, It's frankly quite annoying when Christian apologists point out his personal failures as evidence that he was a fraudulent prophet. As a Christian, I recognize that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the prophets of the Bible included. So I don't think Joseph Smith's personal failures should be any more of an evidence of him being a fraud than Gordon B. Hinckley's supposed shroud of righteousness as being proof that he's, an, uh, that he's a prophet. Neither side works. It doesn't matter to me if Joseph Jr. liked to drink every now and then, that he had a temper, that he couldn't stand being questioned, or that he often resorted to physical violence when he was angered. The proof of a prophet has always been in their prophecies, not in the supposed righteousness of the prophet themselves. Latter-day Saints need to understand this probably more so than Christians, for they hold men up in their apparent... um, Uh, righteousness as it being evident that they are true. And that has not been the case when you look at many of God's prophets in the Bible. Where I do take exception, however, with Joseph Smith is when he uses God to justify, even sanctify, unbiblical doctrines, practices, and canonical books. As we proceed through his life, it will become more and more evident that this tendency to use God's name to fulfill his purposes... Uh, escalated up until his last months on earth. Let's take a minute and give a little history of how and when the Book of Mormon came to be. 
On the evening of September 21st of 1823, Joseph Smith said he was visited by an angel who had the name Moroni. As I mentioned on the show about Joseph's magic practices, September 21st and 22nd was a very important night of the year for money diggers. And remember, money diggers are people who would search around with stones looking to see where buried treasure was. The reason it was an important night of the year is because it's the autumnal equinox. And in magic practitioners' lives, they believe that the autumnal equinox was a time when the heavens would reveal to these magic guys where buried treasure was on earth. It was the most important time of the day. If you want more uh, information, uh, detailed information about the magic practices of Joseph Smith and his family, you can see D. Michael Quinn's book, Early Mormonism and the Magic Worldview, for some excellent sources of this information. Now, Martin Harris, who helped Joseph Smith finance and translate the Book of Mormon, is quoting as having told a Palmyra minister that Joseph had acted as a seer for a local treasure hunt earlier that evening of September 21st and the morning of September 22nd. But as usual, he came up empty-handed. For Joseph Smith to have missed a treasure hunt on this evening when the angels supposedly appeared to him would have been akin to a witch not celebrating Easter, or uh, yeah, Easter is one, and uh, or a witch not celebrating Halloween. They there are certain things that they do, and for Joseph to not have gone out and sought for treasure with his uh, scryer stone that night would have been a very different thing. But Joseph Smith's mother, Lucy, recorded that on this very special night, the family stayed up late into the evening, and I quote, conversing upon the subject of the diversity of churches that had risen up in the world and the many thousands of opinions in existence as to the truths contained in Scripture. Remember, Joseph Smith said that he had received a vision in 1820 where God told him none of the churches were true and they were all an an abomination to him and that they were corrupt. But it says here that in 1823, Lucy's Journal says that they spent a whole bunch of time that night on September 21st talking about all the different churches and why they believe so many different things. If the first vision happened the way it said, they would have known from God's mouth to Joseph's ear that all the churches were corrupt. And I don't see why this would have been a, di- a topic of discussion that night that, uh, Joseph, that Moroni's visit would have occurred. Lucy also noted that Joseph seemed withdrawn or in deep contemplation as the family talked. It's my opinion that these discussions disturbed him greatly. They split his family up. His mother and father were at odds with what religion was all about. And when she says they were having a discussion and Joseph seemed disturbed and withdrawn, I think he was tired of the fighting. So Joseph goes to his bedroom and he says that he prays for the father to forgive him of his sins. It could have been that he did that. It could have been that he was praying for family uh, reconciliation. We don't know. But later, Joseph would claim that his mind was preoccupied with his own personal unworthiness and that he desired a manifestation from God to help him understand his place before him. In the midst of whatever he was doing in his bedroom, he said an angel appeared to him at his bedside this evening of September 21st, the autumnal equinox, and declared that, quote, his sins were forgiven him. The angel declared his sins were forgiven and that God had a special work for him to perform. The angel told Joseph about a history of ancient inhabitants from America that were written on golden plates and buried in a nearby hill. 
Remember that prior to the visit of the angel Moroni, Joseph Jr. had spent time and would continue to spend time thereafter using a seer stone and seeking for treasures that were supposedly buried in the ground just like the golden plates. Remember the. The Book of Mormon claims to be a record of people living in the Americas between 600 BCE and 421 CE. These people are said to have gotten to the Americas by leaving Jerusalem and crossing the sea by large boats. Once here, they broke into two great nations, building a thriving civilization, warring with each other, and in the end nearly exterminating each tribe. Over time, those who remained became the American Indian. Now, this is a great little segue. I'll just stop for a second. When I was a kid, in the 1940s and 1950s, and then even into the 60s, books were printed by the church of showing that these great Indian nations, and that you got the idea that all the Indians that are on uh, the Americas came from the Lamanites who were come from the Book of Mormon. Today, because of DNA research, they have, their Mormon apologists have narrowed it down to being a very, very small group of Indians that they don't know where they are or where they actually resided or what it was. Before, we used to have maps and we used to have all kinds of, you know, these great pictures, but now it's narrowed down to a very small group of people, two or three, I don't know, maybe, who are out there. I'm saying that kind of facetiously, but it is true. And we're going to talk about DNA in the Book of Mormon in the next six to eight weeks as we talk about everything we possibly can. One of the last prophets, a man named Mormon, that's where Mormons get their name, took the records of these people and compiled them on gold plates. Why did they have to be gold? I always wonder why gold. It's because Joseph was always searching for gold. He wanted gold. They had to be gold. It's classic. I mean, golden plates, solid gold plates. By the way, at Utah Lighthouse Ministries, uh, Sandra Tanner has these, these plates that are made of uh, lead. I think it's lead. And they weigh like a third of what gold weigh. And they're the same dimensions that Joseph said they were. And I could have such a difficult time lifting those things up. If they were gold, I don't think I could have picked them up off the table. But, you know, from the dimensions that Joseph said and everything else, they were made of gold. He yanked them up out of the earth and, and he started to uh, translate them. As the story goes, he, Mormon gave his gold record to his son Moroni, who buried them in a hill called Camorra, which was three miles from Joseph Smith's home. And if you look at pictures of the hill Camorra, everything's pretty much flat around there, and all of a sudden there's just this hill right there. So it's a very prominent place that Joseph would have been familiar with. Joseph Smith then claimed that this angel Moroni came to him on September 21st and throughout the night and into September 22nd and told him where the plates were buried. Before we get further into the story of the Book of Mormon, the Hill Cumorah events, the translation, the publication, and ultimately the contents and construction of the book, let's read what the LDS leaders today and yesterday officially say about the Book of Mormon. James E. Faust, in the First Presidency message of January 2004, said, The Book of Mormon is a keystone of our religion because it establishes and ties together eternal principles and precepts Rounding out basic doctrines of salvation, it is the crowning gem in a diadem of our holy scriptures. That sounds very regal, doesn't it? The crowning gem in a diadem of our holy scriptures. Ezra Taft Benson said in the First Presidency message of January 1988, The Book of Mormon was written for us today. God is the author 
of the book. From the church manual, Preach My Gospel, in 2005, it says, Joseph Smith was directed by a heavenly messenger named Moroni to a hill where gold plates lain hidden for centuries. These gold plates contain the writings of prophets given an account of God's dealings with some of the ancient inhabitants of the Americas. I don't think you would have read some of the ancient inhabitants of Americas in the 1940s and 50s in something from the First Presidency about the Book of Mormon. But today, because of the DNA, we're reading that. Joseph Smith uh, translated the contents of these plates by the power of God, end quote. Joseph Smith himself said in History of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints 4, colon 461, that, quote, I told the brethren that the Book of Mormon was the most correct of any book on earth. And the keystone of our religion and a man would get nearer to God by abiding, abiding by its precepts than any other book. Joseph Smith also said, quote, I did translate the Book of Mormon by the gift and power of God and it is before the world and all the powers of earth and hell can never rob me of the honor of it. All right. So... In light of these claims, I would suggest that it's important for seekers of truth to know if the Book of Mormon can stand up to all these claims of what it is. Can we rob Joseph of the honor of it? Or is it truly a record of an ancient civilization written on gold plates and buried in a hill three miles from his home? If it is not true, would you want to know it? Ask yourself that question. If the Book of Mormon is not true, do you want to know it? Or are you determined to cling to it because you're certain in your heart because of the things you've been taught that it is His Word? We are going to examine the Book of Mormon over the next six to eight weeks. I am going to ask that you, if you're Mormon or non-Mormon or Christian or whatever, I'm just going to ask that you ask yourself one question over and over again as we discuss it. Just one. I'm not going to ask you if the Book of Mormon is true because it teaches about Jesus. The Book of Mormon certainly teaches about Jesus. What kind of book that is proposing to have the ability to bring a person closer to God than any other book on earth would not speak about Jesus? The book talks about him. What book that says it's a companion to the Bible would not talk about Jesus? So it does speak of him. But because the Book of Mormon speaks about Jesus does not make it scripture, and it does not make it true. We had a BYU professor call on the very first show that we did, and one of his arguments for the Book of Mormon's validity was that it quantitatively spoke more about Jesus than the Bible. That's like saying, I'm smarter than you because I have more books in my library. Or, I'm prettier than you because I own more makeup. I mean, the, the logic was absolutely inane for a BYU professor to call and say, the Book of Mormon talks about Jesus more than the Bible, you know, therefore it must be true. Uh, come on. We need to know if the book is valid, not whether it wins in a battle of who writes Jesus more, the Bible or the Book of Mormon. All right. Additionally, the question cannot be, could Joseph Smith have written this book? This question was formulated by the Latter-day Saints. Could Joseph Smith have written this book? 
This is a side issue and it settles nothing and it proves nothing. It simply leads us off our path and down a dark alley where we can't come to answers. It's a segue that takes us right off the important question that you should be asking yourself. He couldn't translate it. He could translate it. Neener, neener, neener. It's just that he said, she said, he could, he couldn't. And it's ridiculous. We don't know. Whether you believe that Joseph Smith could or could not have translated the Book of Mormon has nothing to do with it being the authentic word of God. It is, if it is God's word, it doesn't matter if he could or couldn't translate it. Okay, so you have to take that little side argument that is used to mix things up and just throw it out the door. God made a donkey talk in the Bible, right? So if he could have made a young hayseed translate a Book of Mormon, or he could have brought in a brilliant genius like Joseph Smith and had him write, either way, it doesn't matter. There are a thousand explanations on where and how the Book of Mormon could have been written, but none of them play into whether uh, it's true or not. Forget these thoughts and these arguments. Forget the inane and beguiling argument that Joseph wrote the book in 90 days. Who could have written the book in 90 days? It's a total, I almost said BS, it's a total baloney argument. We don't know when he wrote it. He says it was seven years major when he says that he had the angel visit him before he says he ever got the plates and showed a manuscript. Seven years. And now the Mormons, because Joseph said, I didn't get the plates until 90 days before or I I spent 90 days really trusting. They say it's true. We don't know if it was 90 days or not. This is, these are the tactics used by a defense attorney to spin the issues around, to throw out facts that say he did it in 90 days. No one could do that. And, you know, some unsuspecting housewife there with rotten kids says, wow, this thing must be true. But we don't know if that's true or not. Come on, man, let's stick to the facts. Oh, and another thing, as far as poor arguments go, let's drop the uh, Christian apologist argument that say, The Book of Mormon is false because it's another book and the Bible says you can't have another book. Now, you Christian apologists are going to get real upset about this, but that is a ridiculous argument. It's a stupid argument for a number of reasons, okay? The Bible nowhere contextually says you can't have a book of Scripture that comes from God. It doesn't say it. We know that the Bible is a compilation of books put together by inspired men. Because it says in Revelation that you can't add or take away from this book, we also know that after that was written by by John on the Isle of Patmos, that John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So these arguments that you can't add or take away from this book, yes, that's true. You don't add or take away from the Bible. But the Bible doesn't tell us anywhere that you can't have another book of inspired scripture. If God wanted to bring a book forward that was inspired from another land, I'm sure he could do it. I don't know if he would have a problem with it. But that's not the issue. We've got to take this crap, cred argument. Oh man, I'm getting in trouble. We've got to take these arguments and put them behind us. And we've got to talk about the issues. And the issue is, is it God's word? Now, some LDS go so far to say, well, so what? And I'm not kidding you. I I meet a lot of them. They're the intellectual LDS. Well, so what if the Book of Mormon is a counterfeit? So what if the DNA proves that that civilization really didn't exist? It does teach about Jesus. It does teach good morals. What's wrong with it? My response is, well, what's wrong with the 20 in your pocket being a counterfeit? I mean, what does it hurt? 
Why do we have anything that, that is real or not? I mean, when you got buy your wife a diamond for your, uh, to marry you, do you get a cubit zirconia and tell her it's real? I mean, is that your thinking? Does anything of value matter? Counterfeit money is dangerous because it dilutes the legitimate value of our, uh, of our currency in our, in our country. And this is important because when you embrace the Book of Mormon as authentic currency of God, you are helping to dilute the value of the genuine article. How? Because when you embrace the Book of Mormon as a good thing and just as good, and whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter, you're also embracing that Joseph Smith and the other things he said were true. And that is absolutely incomprehensible compared to what the Word of God says. Just because a book is good, it does not mean it is of God. Just because a book teaches truth, it does not mean it is true. Satan can tell the truth. He quotes scriptures all through the Bible. Hitler hated burlesque. Hitler was a teetotaler, did not drink alcohol. Karl Marx loved his wife completely and was faithful to her from all that we know. Osama bin Laden prays fervently. All these things have no bearing on whether they are true or not. They just have a bearing on a certain aspect of it. If, it, if a fraud is good, its goodness is used to hook you for a bad purpose down the road. Okay? You have to remember that. Why, who would have followed Joseph Smith if he would have introduced polygamy first? Who would have followed Joseph Smith if he would have started off with Masonic rituals in a building called an endowment? Nobody. So what he does is he puts out bait that is full of flavor, and then from there, he introduces the rest of the stuff, which we're going to spend the rest of the year reading. Now, I want to give you an example of that really quickly. We're doing on time. I'll be quick. This is from um, a book I'm reading in Sacred Loneliness. It's by Todd Compton, LDS author, and he writes, In early 1832, when she was 23, Agnes moved to Boston, where she stayed at the boarding house of a Miss Augusta Cobb. With her friend Mary Bailey, she began attending the Old South Church where they sang in the choir. At some point, Augusta Cobb, the landlady, obtained a Book of Mormon and became convinced of its truth, and Agnes and Mary also came to believe in it. Just to let you know, as we take that story out, Augustus Cobb, Augusta Cobb became one of Brigham Young's plural wives, and um, Agnes became one of Joseph Smith's plural wives, and Mary died an early death having married one of the other Smiths. The Book of Mormon is a hook, and you have to understand that. So, how can we tell if the Book of Mormon is true? How can we differentiate between the real and the counterfeit? I propose that anyone who really wants to know if the Book of Mormon is genuine, they should ask themselves just one question. And as we cover it, continue to say, do the contents of the book, are they evidence? This is a really poor question, so I gotta rephrase it. Do the contents of the book prove that they came from golden plates or do they prove they came from another source? That's the only question you need to ask yourself as we study the Book of Mormon. Could the contents of the Book of Mormon have originated from these golden plates or did the contents originate from another source? If you discover that the contents came from another source, the book is a fraud. 
Why? Because the LDS Church says in all of its pronouncements, like I read, that Joseph translated this record from golden plates of an ancient civilization. If the content in the book does not coincide with it having been on those ancient records, you know the book is a fraud. And then you know that Joseph is capable of passing frauds off. All right? And that's what we have to look at. All right? Just imagine, as I conclude here, and we go to open up the phone lines at 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Just imagine that your neighbor comes to you and says, I can't believe this, but I discovered in my attic the journal of Abraham Lincoln. And you go through that journal and you read it, and wow, it looks pretty good when you first look at it. And it looks like possibly it could be Abraham's handwriting, and, and, the, and the quotes seem like they're his. And he wants to sell this to you, so you take the book and you, you start reading through it and analyzing it. And as you're reading it, you discover a few things. First of all, there's a photograph in it, and Abraham's standing in an old antiquated-looking room. But in the corner of that room is a Frisbee. Okay, and then uh, next to the Frisbee is a 21st century lamp from Lamps Plus. Well, it certainly looks like it's uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln in that picture. So you continue to read on. And as you read on, you, just, you see that, that Abraham Lincoln suddenly slips in a message about global warming. Whoa, this seems to be anachronistic. This doesn't seem to fit the time Abraham Lincoln was alive. Oh, and the morning after pill and motorcycle helmet laws. This is all in Abraham Lincoln's personal journal. Well, you know, and so what are you going to do? You're going to buy it from your neighbor because you think he's telling you the truth and it certainly looks authentic? Or are you going to use your brain and say, was this stuff truly in his journal? As we go over the Book of Mormon, and I'm going to give you a truckload of information from that book beginning to end, that all you have to ask yourself is, did this information come from golden plates or did it come from another source? All right? All right, let's go to the phone lines. Let's see. We have been... It says line exclamation point, so we're going to go with line one. Ben, you're on Heart of the Matter. Ben? Hey, hey, this is Ben. How's it going? Hey, good. How are you? Good. I've been watching your show for a few weeks now, and I really like you. Um, a lot of what you say, um, I really believe, and I, I think you, you have a good heart and everything, but a lot of, that, a lot of the things you're questioning, uh, God put on the earth us to have our own agency and we have to have faith to believe in a lot of this stuff that you want proof to, to have and that's 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 what's good about it I mean the faith the faith part of it is what gets the work done you know what uh, Frederick Nietzsche said and I hate to quote Nietzsche on a Christian show but he said faith means not wanting to know the truth yeah and that's a that's a very humanist ugly uh, definition of faith Ben and that's exactly what you're telling me here, is that faith means not wanting to know the truth. Actually, what the Bible says is faith is the substance. What is the scripture? Are you asking me? Yeah, well, I can't remember. I can, you know what? I always get it mixed I up. Don't know, I don't know. I don't go to church. Um, faith I, is the substance. Wait, wait a minute, Ben. It's faith. Mormon church. Wait, wait, Ben, let me finish this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. We look for substance and we look at evidence to help 
our faith. And God knew that about human beings. He didn't want us. He gave us cosmological arguments and nature to prove him. He wrote, he, he gives us so many things. He gives us his word to check, to see the validity of it. He gives us Jerusalem to go and walk there. We don't have to blindly believe in something. That's not faith. That's stupidity. And and you're not a stupid guy. I'm not stupid. And, and, you know, okay, let me tell you why why I um, fell away from the Mormon Church. Okay. Um, I was diagnosed bipolar, and I was sent to LDS Hospital, and I was there for two weeks, and I came out with a $17,000 hospital bill. And I went to my bishop. I, I had just gotten married. And I had no way to pay it. And I was like, it's an LDS hospital. There's got to be a way that you guys can help me with this. And at the time, um, they had just bought half of downtown, the Crossroads Mall and all that. I was like, there's got to be a way you guys can help me with this. No, nope, we can't help you. We don't help you with the hospital bills, um, this and that. And, and ever since then, I haven't felt comfortable in the Mormon church because I don't, you know, I think they need to help the people more than help I don't know, the money-making machine that it is. And well, you saw that side of it, and uh, maybe that's a, a kickstart for you to look at, at, at other things, like just a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, I love Jesus, and he's a big part of my life. Awesome, man. And hey, can I send you our book? Sure. Hey, stay on the phone, and operator will pick up and get your address, and we'll send it out to you. All right. And then I want to talk to you again, Ben. What's that? I'd love to talk to you again. Okay, uh, hopefully I get a meeting someday so we can talk where I only have 20 seconds. That sounds good, man. Okay. See you later. Okay. All right. We're going to Steve, first-time caller from Sandy. Steve, you're on Heart of the Matter. Steve? Yeah. Yeah, if your TV's on, you got to turn it off, buddy. Hey. Hi. Okay. You're on the air. Okay, this is Steve Johnson. Um, I used to be in your ward in California, and I'm wondering what happened to you and why you decided to leave the church. Oh, man, Steve. First of all, I don't remember you. What, uh, how long ago was that? Um, about 10 years ago. Um, you used to be a member of the Mormon church, and I'm, I'm wondering why you fell away and why you never had a testimony. No, wait. Uh, where, what ward were you in? In Huntington Beach? Yeah. Oh, you got to turn your TV off, Steve. Steve didn't know me, and uh, so if you want to know my personal story, I have no problem sharing it, but it gets really boring for people who watch the show over and over, so you can get the book, you can go to the website, you can email me, I'll be glad to give it to you. Long story short, I came to know Jesus and uh, changed my life, and so gloriously, I became a good guy, and well, a better guy, and um, you know, I just praise the Lord for that, and that's why I do it. Okay, we're going to Alice, first time caller from Salt Lake City. Alice, you're on Heart of the Matter. Tommy, turn it down. You guys got to turn your TVs off. Okay, Alice, go ahead. Okay, I'm just uh, in response to uh, how when a missionary comes and approaches you, all you have to do is say how many gods you believe in, and they walk right away. Is that the key phrase? Because they have so many gods. I see. And... Who let them? Uh, who gave them permission to have these gods? And by golly, they've got them by the thousands. So <laughs> I this love is this what my, que- my question was. Okay, bye and thank you. Hey, thank you for that insight. I really like it. How sweet! 
She has a she has like an antidote to missionaries. You ask them how many gods they have, and they run. It's like it's like raid. You spray it, and they're gone. Uh, if I were a missionary in LDS, I would say uh, I have one god of which we we have one god of which we have to do, and then you might want to prime a little bit more and say, well, does he have a father, and did he have a father, and eternal regression of gods, and that might help you too. But that sounds like a good uh, clue, and appreciate the the tip. Uh, also, I'm getting some emails and things about why I'm growing a beard. This is in honor of us doing church history this year. I'm not going to shave it until the last day of 2007. In fact, when we get to talking about Brigham Young, I'm just going to shave the mustache so that I have the the Brigham Young thing going on. And uh, it's just all such great fun. And I get a lot of uh, you know, a lot of criticism about my appearance for some odd reason, but that's why we have this. It's an honor of the, uh, the church history. Okay, we're going to Stephanie on line three, second time caller. Stephanie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello, Sean. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing really well. Guess what I found out? Some more information. Um, there was this, um, there was this Mongolia little girl, and she has the DNA of the, of the Amazons back in the old days. You a know, Mongolian little girl who has Amazonian DNA. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that was, they, yeah, they found this information, and I watched it on, on a PBS version and everything, and I was just thinking, you know, why can't, why can't the other religion find the DNA that proves that it has that all together? You know what I mean? Yeah, and, we're gonna ha- we're gonna have a full show, if not two shows, on the DNA evidence. We're gonna go into Southerton stuff. And we're really going to throw out that stuff the best I can understand it. It's kind of tough for me. I'm not scientifically minded. But that's really interesting. So what the inference in what your comment is, is that the Mongolian uh, people, uh, Asian people, are the ones who came over and originally started off the American Indians. Yeah, they did. And that's what I'm trying to say to you. But Mongolians were the, uh, yeah, they do have found this one little girl. It just, I mean, she looks like, she, she looks like she's a Caucasian and everything. Huh. She has, she has light hair, white, kind of like Caucasian face. Right. She also has the uh, eyes, like a, like, like, um, like hazel eyes. Huh. And it was just so amazing to see this little girl from Mongolia, from the outskirts of Mongolia, just to have that. Very interesting. Thank you so much for the call. No problem. All right, Stephanie, take care. You too. Bye-bye. Uh, I'm sure that the LDS experts at farms will probably say that uh, there could be, there could be a small segment in Asia where certain Mongolian peoples came from the Book of Mormon people, and therefore we have more evidence to the truthfulness of the book. I'm sorry to go into character, but uh, I think that there is going to be an answer to every one of these things, and we just need to take it all in and ask ourselves, is this really a legitimate book? Let's go to John W., first-time caller. West Jordan, John W., you're on the air. Uh, hey, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you? Good, good. Uh, listen, I just wanted to make a point here. Now, a lot of people uh, that I've talked to, they say that the Book of Mormon is the most correct book on earth, and that anyone would get closer by drawing to its principles or whatever, this, that, and the other thing, and that the Bible is as only as accurate as it's translated and uh, interpreted. Right. right, right. Okay, well, I'm just wondering, because, you know, I've seen this go around, and uh, I have this idea that instead of worrying about proving the Book of Mormon false, okay, uh-huh. uh, because a lot of that, you know, you can go on your faith thing or this, that, and the other thing, and I'm done with all of that. 
Okay. What I'm thinking is is that just by proving how accurate the Bible is, you're going to be able to point out certain facts like there is no other God except for God. There was none before him. There is none after him. Um, certain things that um, <clears throat> are doctrinated into the LDS religion, um, you know, that right there, who God is. Is there any God before him? Is there any God after him? Here's that right there is a statement that needs to be, you know, pulled out. Because Here. if you can prove that one statement, that there is no God before him, ever was there, that neither will there be one after him, and okay. that the Bible is accurate in what it says. Yeah, here's the problem with that is in dealing with the Latter-day Saint Church, the Book of Mormon does not teach most, if, I don't think it teaches... No, it doesn't even teach those doctrines, yeah, I know. So, so... It not even teach... Okay, it so... Teach morality of marriage, it doesn't teach a lot of it, it, Exactly, so when you're making a comparison of the Book of Mormon and the Bible, to say that the Bible cho- uh, proves that God is one God, like Christians all believe in the, the... The Mormons can say that the Book of Mormon teaches those very same things. So I'm not sure that that argument is going to work best with them. The second thing is, there are problems with the Bible. And so they will turn, if they're well-read enough, they're going to bring those problems up. Now, I teach a show, I teach a thing called the infallible word. The Bible will not fail you, but you but can bring up some problems. There in it or anything. I know that. I've yeah. Been... So I, I think that going down that road might not bring you the fruit that you want. That's my only comment. Okay, well... I, I'm just I'm just saying that you know I I just think by proving that it is uh, um, a great uh, book that there is nothing wrong with it that time and time again archaeologically it's proven prophecy it's been yeah. proven that that book stands as the most accurate book in the world. Yeah, and you know what I agree with you. Our show on the Bible in 2006 covered that. And if you want a good book, I'm talking to the audience now. Uh, Josh McDowell, Evidence Demands a Verdict. You can look at all the empirical data that he uses to, to help support the Bible and where it came from. And it really throws out a lot of the arguments many of the LDS apologists use to bring the Bible down. So a great call. Thank you so much. Hey, one other thing. Listen, I think I saw you over at the Rock Church. I was playing some songs outside in the... Um, uh... Oh, was that you? Yeah, that was me. Yeah, I was there at a funeral for Micah. Huh? I was there at a funeral for Micah Coleman. No, oh, I know, and I had just yeah. dropped by there, and for some reason it was open and everything. And well, I you're a good musician. of mine, and I seen you there, and I thought it was you, but I wasn't for sure. You're a good I- musician. Yeah, yeah. Take I care, like man. Music, so. All right, buddy. Okay, hey, well, listen, uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, you take I, uh, care. Um, we'll talk my- to you later. Okay, have a great day. Okay, bye-bye. Nothing on he just some people just don't know how to end it, you know, so you gotta just chop them off. Okay. Uh, let's go to Jordan on line four, a first time caller from Ogden. Jordan, you're on heart of the matter. Hey, how you doing, Sean? I'm doing well. How you doing, Jordan? Uh, not too bad. I can barely hear you, man. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, well just been thinking about a little bit what you've been saying, you know. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. Well, um, as I am a Mormon, you know, uh-huh. sounds like most people on this show kind of don't like us. <laughs> so probably you don't get too many Mormon calls. But I like Mormons. <laughs> but you know, in response to that one thing, if you want to know if the book's true, you know, just ask yourself, you know, like that. Well, I think the person you need to ask isn't yourself. I think you need to ask God. Okay. You know what I'm saying. 
And what if God tells you, like it tells the Muslim, that the Quran is the most correct book on the face of the earth? Well, James 1, 5 said, If any, if any lack wisdom, right? they give it to all men liberally, and, and, upgrade upgrade not, not, and it and should it be, given, be him. given him. Yeah, what God is it? will not lead you away, right? Yeah, if any man lacks wisdom, but does it say lacks knowledge of what scripture it is? It's talking about wisdom there. And what is wisdom? Well, anyways, like I just said, you know, just ask of God. Don't ask yourself. Ask of God, because he'll let you know. I think and, that you run a... I have to disagree in just asking God if the Book of Mormon is true, because I don't think you get an answer. It's like saying, God, are you going to reveal to me the lotto numbers of uh, next year? I don't think God's going to tell you. And so I think then you start thinking, well, my mom and dad believe it, and they had a witness, and, and this and that. So I'm starting to feel the burning bosom, and you think the burrito you had is God. And so you gotta, you got to look at the evidences that you've been given by God. And He gives you evidences. He doesn't want you believing in a vacuum. He doesn't want you relying on your sensory experience to give you data that you think is true. He wants you to look at His Word. That's why He gave it to you. That's why millions of people have died for this book. You know, and that's why it is the infallible word. Don't trust, I'm telling the audience, not necessarily, I'm actually telling you too. Don't trust your feelings. The Bible never says, hey, go to God and ask me if this book is true. It's, it's, it never asks you to do that because that's a built-in fraud. You believe James 1, 5, if any of you lack wisdom, what? Yeah, I believe, sure, if any of you lack wisdom. God will give you the answers, right? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. I don't know how you how you take that and that supports your idea that God's going to tell you the Book of Mormon is true. I'm That's not saying a, that. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. I don't so disagree with you there. If you want to know something, just ask him. It doesn't say knowledge. It doesn't say if any of you lack knowledge. It says if any of you lack wisdom. There's a great difference between gnosis in the Greek and the word wisdom in the Greek, which I don't know what it is, but they're very different words. There's a reason that it says wisdom and not knowledge there. Okay? We're going to let you go. we got other callers. Thanks for the call. Okay? I hate when they get mad at me. I don't want you to hate me. We're going to Ryan, Salt Lake City. First time caller. Ryan, you're in Heart of the Matter. Ryan? Ryan? We're going to Jeff on line two. Jeffrey, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Jeff, you're on the air. Hi, this is Alpine, Utah. Hey, Jeffrey, you on a cell phone? Yeah. Okay, you're breaking up a little bit, but let's pray it comes through. Go ahead. All right. Um, I recently left the church. I was just wondering um, what led to you, like, because I, I believe in the Bible, right, but just uh, what led you believing that Joseph Smith, you know, was a, was a fake. Well, uh, that was a process, to be honest with you, Jeffrey. And I had grown up in the church, so I was led to believe he was a prophet since I was a kid. And it took a long time for those seeds to die in me and for the seeds of God to germinate in my heart. What helped me overcome that in time was reading the Bible, prayer, hearing the word preached at a Christian church, and then starting to read up on all the facts that I could about Joseph, the Book of Mormon, and everything else. And then slowly I was able to tease apart what I had been taught and what the truth was. That's how the, the process happened. Now sometimes it will take people years, sometimes it's a shorter term, it just depends on how mind warped you are by the, all the information.
Right, right. Uh, if there's a good Christian church in Alpine, I don't know that we recommend one, but there is good Christian churches in Park City. I know uh, that Joe uh, Ellis, Park City Calvary Chapel, is a great church. He teaches the Word. He's a great guy. And if you just take a little drive up to Park City on a Sunday and meet Joe, it'd be well worth your while. Great. That's great. I just want to let you know that you look like a musty clam and a fat beaver. <laughs> yes! I don't hear what it was. A musty clam and a fat something. But whatever it was, uh, I feel like a musty clam sometimes. And as far as fat, you should see me in a swimsuit. It's terrible. All right, so let's go on to the next call of uh, someone who's being up front and right with us. Michael from Bountiful, second-time caller. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, uh, Sean? Yes, Michael. You gotta turn... What are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. you got to turn your TV off, buddy. Yeah, okay, I'll go to the other room. Yeah. Sean? Yes. You just said to this person that uh, the James first chapter verse one five. Yeah. It said that it doesn't talk about knowledge; it talks about wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know what the definition for wisdom is? Tell me. Proper application of knowledge. Okay. So it's the proper application of knowledge. That's and fine. But is that is that knowledge or is it wisdom? What does wisdom mean? A proper application of knowledge. Knowledge okay. can come from any direction. I can go get knowledge as to my own understanding. Yeah. And you can get understanding of your own. But who's right? Only God knows everything, right? Okay, so again I ask you the question, what do you do with the Muslim who prays that the, the Quran is true and receives uh, a, a belief that God tells, wait, let me finish, that God tells him the Quran is true? Michael? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. What do you do? What do you do with someone who reads the Quran and says God tells him it's a true book? Okay, let me tell you this. Okay, I lived in India. I know Quran. I know my, my Indian. Answer the question. I don't need to know about your life. Just answer the question. Yes, I know. When they say, they never said anywhere in Quran said, ask God and know this book is true. They don't say it in the Bible either. So what's your point? Only in the, in the Book of Mormon it says, if you read this sincerely and ask God if these things are true. Okay, first of all, quote it right, Michael. What does it really ask you? Brigham Hang, he never said anywhere. Wait, Michael, what does it really ask you in the Book of Mormon? The Book if of Mormon it, asks you to read it and ask God if, if things are true. No, it doesn't, Michael. It says, ask God if these things are not true. That's yes. what it asks. It's not true. Okay, anyway. Okay, it. I asked God, are these things not true? And he said yes. Oh, really? Well, the book asks you that, doesn't it, Michael? Did you ask sincerely? This is the problem, Michael. This is the problem. You didn't even get my joke. The problem is, okay, is that the, the, the problem is, Michael, is that approach is built right into the style of Joseph Smith and how to fool people and manipulate them. Okay, you tell them to go to God and ask them and say, God, tell me, is this book true? And whatever you feel or sense, if a bird hits the, the, the house and you hear it, you might think that's God. It's true. It's, it's very problematic when it comes to faith. Okay. Why did Jesus say, ask, it shall be given? There's no problem with asking. I believe in prayer and asking, okay? And it shall be given, but I believe that everything that is of God when it comes to His Word has to be substantiated. The heaven is shut. Like 2,500 years ago, what... I don't think the heavens are shut. You're wrong. I don't think the... 2,500 years from now, did God did not talk to you? Okay, say that again. I'm sorry. Okay, but 2,500 years, the Bible speaks 2,000 years ago. Okay? 
Now, what happened from that time to now? It's called the day of Pentecost. It's called the day when the Holy Spirit came and God guides people through his spirit, Michael. So that means God... Why do you need a prophet if the Holy Spirit came, Michael? Yes, right. I understand that, Sean. But does not God speak to us now? Sure he does. Okay, then ask God. Why do we so much confusion in this, Muslim? Ask God what? Okay, when I ask God to tell me the lotto numbers for next week, why doesn't he tell me? That? What? Sean, this is so this is so silly. Well, you know that's what you didn't answer my question. Answer my question. Why, when I ask God for lot, wait. Why, when I ask God for lotto numbers, doesn't He give them to me? What did Jesus said? Ask if you ask for if you ask for thing that's not right, you will not get it. Okay, and that's the very thing when you're reading a book. That when, when we're done with the eight weeks, Michael, you call me back and you tell me that this book shows itself as being right. Okay, you have been taken hook, line, and sinker by a fraud, man. And when we show you the evidence, if you believe it came from golden plates, you deserve to have the Book of Mormon as something you believe in. Okay, let me say one thing. Okay, you, you got to end it though quick. Go ahead. Prophesize two things. What? And that the gospel will be preached throughout the year. And I'm in 10,000 miles apart. No missionaries came to me. Nobody taught the gospel. That gospel came to me, and I have studied it, I prayed it, and asked the Lord if these things are true. Okay, and what's your point, Michael? For the last 25 years in India. Again, you know what? Your personal stories are tough to translate on this show. I know, I know they're probably very important to you, but you, you need to share them another time with me in an email and a call. Sure, it's start, like- wait, Michael, it's starting to die now. i got to keep it going with someone else. Thanks, Sean. Thank you very much. Call back. Bye-bye. Okay. Okay, we're going to Chad, first-time caller on line four. Chad, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yep, I'm here. Chad, go ahead. You're on the air. Okay, hi. Is this Sean? It is. Hey, Sean. Um, uh, you're doing a great job. Thanks. <laughs> uh, have you ever looked up a website called josephlied.com? Yeah, I've seen that. I haven't done too much uh, reading of it, but I've heard about it. Is oh, it good? Spend an, hour, spend an hour or two tomorrow and just go through it. It's awesome. Really? But anyway, um, no, with, with I, I've grown up in Utah, been out of state many times, but I'm only like 33. But anyway, um, have many friends that were LDS and still are, and that's, that's great. But the biggest thing is Church of Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. So focus on the fact that they idolize Jesus and his life. In my own opinion, reading about, you know, through the Bible, what would Jesus be doing today on if he was actually physically on the earth? This is theoretical, mind you. Okay. What would he be doing? Would he be supporting... What government would he support? Right, none. Exactly. Right. Okay. Good <laughs> point. Any, L, any person LDS, what are they going to say? Oh, the what Republican Party, say? probably. <laughs> <laughs> but that goes for any Catholic. That yeah. goes for anyone else either. Most Christians, too, right. And... And uh, this was like 15 years ago. I was working at a grocery store, and I had like 10 guys, all LDS, return missionaries. You know, why? You know, Chad, why aren't you LDS? You've grown up around us all your life. And I said, well, two questions. One, the first one was, and I, I my, um, what I call it might, might be wrong, but I think it was the planet Kolob. Yeah. Am I right there? Yeah. Okay. I said, what is the planet Kolob to them? And with you know five ten minutes later, they're all arguing. <laughs> They're all arguing, all LDS. I'm laughing because I've talked about the planet Kolob before and probably okay. argued so about it. So they're all too. arguing, you know, whatever subject it is. Yeah. And, and then, so I stopped them and I said, that's why I'm not LDS, because there's no unity. You don't know what you believe. Right. And two, 
I said, what would Jesus Christ be doing on Earth today? What political government would he support today if he was on Earth? Right. On those two questions, you don't need to go any further. Right. Honestly, my, my own opinion. Those are good ones, man. I got to keep it. We're almost out of time. Yeah, Thank you it. so All much. Right. All right, bye. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, we have two minutes, 16 seconds. I'm going to try Dan. Dan, you're on Harlem Matter. Dan, you literally have one minute, 20 seconds. Dan? Yes. You're on the air, buddy. Okay, sorry about that, Sean. I just want to get a quick uh, question in there and see what yeah. your, your thoughts are. Um, I believe that this, my generation, I'm in my upper 20s, and, and maybe my kids' generation, um, is going to face some problems with the LDS Church, and I'm wondering if the <clears throat> leadership of the LDS Church is going to have to come out soon and, and speak to these issues uh, that you bring up uh, with the Internet, with television shows like this, um, exposing the, the lie that's been going on. Do you see them coming out in the next 5, 10, 20 years and, and seriously addressing these issues and giving an answer? It's a, it's a great question. I wish we had more time to answer it, but let me say this. I said on a show back in 2006, the LDS Church, if it wants to survive, is going to have to. I honestly believe they're going to have to. And I think those guys up in the church headquarters, they know they have to come. There has to be a come to Jesus meeting, no pun intended. And man, they really have to do something with exactly what you're talking about. Because your generation and younger, they are not dumb. And uh, it, it, the, 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 roost, the rooster's coming home to roost and things have to happen. And I hope for this show and people like you, if you're in the church, to continue to say, hey, let's get real with all this stuff, will cause a change. All right. God bless you, Sean. God bless you. Thank you so much. Listen, uh, we are out of time. I'm sorry to you if you're on the phone. Uh, I just want to say if you want to watch The Infallible Word, it's on two Monday nights, 9.30, Friday nights, 8.30. You can also go to www.bornagainmormon.com if you have further emails, questions, if you want to watch the shows. If you want to order a book, you can order the book through there. Um, there's a host of things you can do to get involved. Please remember that we are going to have a heart uh, of on in the park on seven eight seven oh seven. So keep that weekend open, and we're also having a heart on the sea on August. If you're interested in that, let us know. Until next week, when we get further into the Book of Mormon, God bless you.